We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of One Royal Way here on KC Sports Network. I am not Joel Penfield. I'm Jordan Foote hosting today's episode. Um, Joel is away. He's going to be back for next week's show. We're going to talk plenty of MLB draft and stuff like that. Um, Josh Kaiser and I, though, have plenty planned for this episode. Uh, Josh, what's up, buddy? Uh, nothing much. I'm ready to record. Talk to talk a little bit about the Royals. Is that what we're doing here? Talking Royals, right? I'm just a little. Uh, we don't have to. We can talk something else. <laughs> okay. We can talk. Uh, you know, there, there's other local teams, right? Sure. Let's talk about um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I got thoughts here. Uh, I have none, so okay. it's going to be a one-sided pod. Uh, okay. Guys, Deal. if you do want those thoughts, though, might want to follow Josh on Twitter at JoshKaiser40, right? Yep. Nailed it. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, before we get jumped into this podcast, shout out to KC Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring the podcast. There are guys on the Royals that have used them. Um, there are local kids in the area that have trained with them. If you have any needs for baseball, softball training, be sure to check them out. Also, be sure to join us for something I'm pretty excited about. Josh is pretty excited about. Nick, our producer, is pretty excited about um, our second annual Tacos and Bourbon Golf Tournament on July 29th at Sunflower Hills Golf Course in Bonner Springs. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be food brought to you by Holiday Distillery, our good friends there, and Mission Taco along with prizes, giveaways, a silent auction, and more, plus one golfer is going to have a chance to sink a shot for a million bucks. Um, they told me I couldn't play because they knew I was going to make the shot. So <laughs> um, for the, more yeah. information, that, that's sure. the reason why. Obviously. For insurance purposes. Yes. <laughs> for more information on the, turn, or the uh, tournament, sign up. Uh, click on the link below in the podcast description, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or for any other uh, inquiries, additional info, Christian Gumminger at kcsnfoundation.com. Now that we got all that out of the way, um, the meat and potatoes of this podcast, Josh, we're going to talk about, obviously, the Royals, what's been going on lately, and it probably starts with uh, the most recent series recaps, and I believe we recorded after the game ended, 
or right before it was over last Tuesday. So they beat Detroit. They lost the finale. They split against Tampa Bay. And normally um, that isn't really much to talk about, but A, because the season's been so bad, B, because it's Tampa Bay, maybe the best team in baseball this year. Um, It was pretty good. So they won two. They lost two. We can go game by game, but Josh, did anything like overarching kind of stand out from that series to you? Um, I, I kind of commented on this on Twitter, but it seemed kind of like the Rays were going through the motions outside of like Tyler Glass. Now, no, he didn't get he did not get the mem- memo that it was kind of a, a straw man series, but it looked like a lot of the Rays were kind of just sleepwalking through it outside of that second game. So, as a whole, I think I noticed that, but it does not matter because that is a two two split against a team that is much better than us at this point. So that was the overarching thing, but. I got notes for every game, so if we want to, if we want to take it game by game, we can. But if we, if we want to stick with overarching, that's fine too. Yep, we can go game by game real quick. So Thursday was a six-five win. The Royals really exhausted a lot of pitching in this game. They had Jose Quas out there. Um, Austin Cox looked really good. Josh has a thread and spreadsheet type thing um, up on Twitter about Austin Cox so far. We'll probably highlight him maybe next week or the week after. Taylor Clark was used and. Drew Waters had a good game, and really, aside from the pitching, that was what stuck out to me because he hasn't had many, if any, good games outside of that since he got called back up, um, or I guess reinstated from the IL. He needed that, and the numbers are still not very pretty, um, but that he was probably the hero of that game, right? Yeah, doing doing it from both sides of the, the field, both on offense and defense, but he had a pretty good series overall in Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. so I was really, really happy with him. MJ also had a pretty good game, three, four, two ribbies and a walk that game. So on base, four out of five times. But I want to go back to the pitching start of it. Sure. Nine innings pitched, five earned, 10 hits, three walks, and 13 strikeouts for that bullpen game. Um, it basically deployed close to exactly how I wanted it to. I wanted Cox to be followed up by Hernandez. And if you're preceding him with Quas, I kind of understand that reasoning. You got a crafty, weird angled righty. Uh, kind of a soft tossing wizard of a pitcher in Austin Cox, and then a bully in Carlos Hernandez before you start getting those later inning relievers. So it kind of deployed the way I'd kind of like to see those bullpen games used and strategized for. And uh, that was kind of fun to see, even though they did give up, you know, four, four earned. What did I say? Four earned, five earned. Yeah. Um, the pitching on Friday was not so good. Zach Grinke, nope. four and two thirds, nine hits, seven earned runs allowed. We're going to talk about him more in depth after our first break, probably. Hmm. Um, anything else jump out to you from Friday night? Um, other than the um, Rays got out to an early lead on Grinky. Uh, I think it was four was it four runs there in the first two innings, and the yep. Royals responded to it. They actually got into the point where it was either I can't it was a one run game or tied it up before the fifth inning, and it kind of opened the floodgates. But the Royals answered, and and my concerns about this season are them kind of getting lifeless and starting to give up and get frustrated and stuff and that's not the case at least against the Rays that game so I was happy to see them kind of answer that uh, that early deficit again yeah answering on Saturday with a win Mm -hmm. um, six innings pitched eight hits the rarest of wins yes the rarest of wins because Jordan (laughs) Lyles got on the board not only did the Royals win a game that he started snapping the streak from earlier in the year but he got a W just like flat out. He's no longer mm-hmm. winless at the big league level for the Kansas City Baseball Royals this year. Um, Nick Prado, Bobby Witt Jr., Freddie Fermin had two RBIs, two RBIs, and three RBIs respectively. Two plus mm-hmm. two plus three is seven. 
Um, so they outscored the Tampa Bay Devil Rays all by themselves. Um, that was last win of the series, but I thought it was a good team win. And like, again, people make the joke like rare W. That literally was <laughs> one of the rarest dubs you can yes. get. Yeah. And it was good to see. I mean, he did give up four earned in those first two innings, but after that, he kind of settled in. Only he scattered three base runners over the next four innings. So uh, you're going to take six innings pitched with four earned from Jordan Lyles all day, every day. Uh, he has had a really, really bad season by all standards, but uh, it was nice to see him kind of, kind of, I guess, buck that trend a little bit and try to break that streak a little bit too. Uh, you mentioned some of the hitters, but the six through nine hitters in that game particularly. They combined for nine for 14, five runs, three ding-dongs, five ribbies, one walk, and two strikeouts. So for some reason, that six through nine spots absolutely carried that offense that game, and it was cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And they're back in town today facing Cleveland, but not before a three-to-one loss on Sunday. And Daniel Lynch had a decent game. Like, it's not his fault. He gave up one run over six innings. He's really starting to look... Uh, better and like the Daniel Lynch that we've seen in spurts like since he came back and got that first one under his belt he's looked good and then uh, Taylor Clark who we'll we'll talk about way later in our surprise game segment I'm not going to spoil quite yet Uh, he continued to not look great after looking pretty darn good for quite some time yep Uh, it's tough to see that especially after Everybody and their mother thinks that Taylor Clark is going to bring back something in a trade. So um, <laughs> it's a really poor time, but maybe he can get back on the on the right side of the uh, the productivity scale there. But yeah, Lynch, very solid again, another quality start. And again, those quality starts are a 4.5 ERA if you kind of scale it out. But it's the idea of keeping your team in the game. And if the offense was not was not hitting against Tyler Glass now, who had 12 strikeouts in five uh, innings pitched, absolutely dominant. Uh, against this lineup so it wasn't Lynch's fault that the offense wasn't up to the task of taking on uh, Tyler Glass now but three to one three runs is absolutely surmountable at that point so um, it's kind of on the offense so good for Daniel Lynch glad to see him he's like really the only starting pitcher that we're comfortable with now is that's kind of where I'm at and even then like I don't even know if you can quite be comfortable with like you know what I mean like it's still so really they they don't have anything right now which is they never have uh, yeah, they never have. Since they might. went down, you can't yeah. you can't count on. It. But somebody asked that question, like what what which pitcher in the starting rotation currently would you 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 got a do or die situation? Who you who yeah. you picking? It's hands down, Daniel Lynch. Yeah, um, help might be on the way soon. Yeah. That gives us some injury updates. Brad Keller is beginning a rehab assignment at AAA on Wednesday. So as you're listening to this podcast, he's getting ready for that. Michael Massey, not a pitcher, obviously, but he took BP. Prior to Tuesday's game, he was on the 10-day DL, um, sorry, IL, with a hand laceration. Um, and then Josh Stama had a setback with his neck injury. That's from Andy Rogers. And then Amir Garrett and Ryan Yarbrough continuing their rehab stints. So, Josh, obviously, uh, Stama, probably the unfortunate one of that group. Um, Keller, probably the standout in he's been kind of up and down this year, but he would yeah. give them theoretically a – capable uh 
non two inning opener <laughs> type guy out yeah. of the rotation. hundred <laughs> percent. I think that's the, that's the main one. I mean, it is important for Ryan Yarbrough and Amir Garrett to get back up to the, to the big leagues and start building that trade value a little bit. Cause both of those guys are also free agents at the end of the year, like Keller. So we need to get them in here, give them some innings, let them build up that value if it's going to happen and then, uh, and see what they can come, you know, come with. But at the, at this point, they just need to not have a bullpen game every five days. Like, you wondered like the singer last week, singer started at seven innings pitched, gave up seven earned runs. It was definitely one of those, like you're going to give us seven innings, bro. And you're going to do it one way or another. And then Coar's is going to finish it because tomorrow all hell breaks loose and everybody, everybody's in. So it's, it, it would be nice for the bullpen not to have to worry about that every five days. Remember, and, and we'll move on to Freddie for after this, but remember before the year when people were like, Oh man, why are the Royals bringing in Jordan Wiles? They have so many people they need to sort out in the rotation. And then people were saying like, Hey, these things usually sort themselves out. Either one guy sucks or another guy gets hurt. Like you can never have too much depth. <laughs> like mm-hmm. even the Royals who haven't been completely decimated by injuries, but have had some guys get banged up. Mm-hmm. Um, it is rearing its ugly head. So remember that, that in March when that happens. Didn't Dayton Moore say something like they'd like to have 12 to 13 starting pitchers yep. that can actually start games last year? And that kind of blew my mind because I never really yep. realized that it was that many, but it makes sense because that's that's mm-hmm. essentially what it is. So they did not enter the season with 12 or 13 guys that you're comfortable starting a starting a baseball game. So it's no. it's interesting. The other the other interesting thing, last point that I wanted to bring up was over these last two weeks, they had 10 games and they've been four and six in those games. Um it's kind of like a little microcosm of the season and seeing how thin the line is between winning baseball and losing baseball because the offense is ranking like 21st in OPS over those last two two or two weeks. Starting pitchers have a 20 second to last in expected uh, XFIP. Relievers are middle of the road in expected XFIP. That's not much different than what their offense ranks on the year as a total. They're 27th in offense. The starting pitcher is 28th, second to last. And then the, the relievers are just under uh, average at that point. And that's the difference between four and six the last two weeks and 22 and 56 is what they currently are. So it's just, it, it kind of shows you like the weirdness of baseball and how everything is such a fluid thing. It just depends on what happens at what time. That's kind of the meaning or that's more or less the difference between a win and a loss or at least a 40% winning percentage as opposed to like whatever 22% or whatever it is now. So it's just been a weird two weeks, but uh, it's finally maybe we're getting some of that good luck that we have been waiting for. (laughs) I always do this. I have my mic muted um, and you almost might want to leave that edit in just to show how much of a dumbass I am. But um, (laughs) Maddie Lane does it on the lab. And we have this habit of like muting ourselves while we're trying to make a point mm-hmm. and then proceeding to just bumble over and <laughs> get faceless expressions. But anyway, um, it's about depth, a lot of it too. And mm-hmm. speaking of depth, the Royals have Freddie Fermin as their backup backstop. Um, his season numbers here, they look pretty damn good, man. He's yeah. slashing 264, 329, 486 with a 121 WRC plus. He's walking 9% of the time striking out 21% of the time. Um, his isolated power is 222, which is pretty hefty compared to what mm-hmm. I expected. Um, 294 Babbitt, four home runs, and seven RBIs. In the month of June, he's played 11 games for the Royals. He's batting 333. He has a 147 
Waiter Bread's Creative Plus. So I, I kind of did a deep dive into his savant page and his defense. Um, Josh, I I can see the yes, I can see It's essentially the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we we think almost too alike, which is probably a bad thing for the listeners uh-huh. of today's show, uh, especially yeah, specifically yeah. 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 Um, but what do you find with him, and how uh, sustainable do you think this plate performance is? Well, I mean, he had the breakout last year in Omaha that kind of kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. Um, he's not necess- he's not a prospect at that point, so you're just like, I don't know what this is, but let's figure it out. And they decided that you know it's best for MJ to stay out in the outfield because we got Freddie Fermin, who seems to be major league ready. So it's interesting to kind of see him get the opportunities. But the interesting part is, like you said, his defense rates really well at this point he is a top 20 defensive catcher when you kind of filter out uh, guys that have at least 100 innings caught uh this season but he's 19th in the frame score on fan graphs he's 19th in defensive runs saved he's 19th in catcher framing runs via savant so he's actually getting some decent defensive metrics that is buying him reps i think in this team he needs to be in the lineup regardless if that's at the dh spot or if that's a uh, behind the plate he needs to be in this lineup at this point because there ain't much i mean there's no really anybody else who's deserving at bats more than him at this point right i don't think so and you look back at the defense he's also 63rd percentile in pop time to second base on mm-hmm. savant 76th in uh percentile and framing like the defense seems legit that that's something that doesn't usually fluctuate a ton and we've seen a guy like mj melendez come up and really uh, just be not bad like bad. there's no <laughs> yeah there's not there's no sugarcoating it he was just bad um mm-hmm. the big improvement for him i looked kind of more detailed is on the outside corners of the plate and just really covering the entire plate itself and even those pitches that just get away a little bit so freddie for me it's defense that plays as a backup catcher. And people remember uh, Cam Gallagher, who didn't offer mm. much with the bat, but he'd play solid defense. He could play a couple times a week. Like, they didn't lose anything. They might have actually gained something in Freddie Fermin. And you look at his savant page, the barrel rate's fine. The average exit velocity is fine. All the expected stats are pretty consistent with what he's actually doing. Like, that seems somewhat sustainable. Um, he tattoos off-speed pitches. He has like a, a 540 slugging percentage against him. He hits the ball right up the middle like 40% of the time. Like he's going with the pitches that are thrown at him. The two things I noticed for him, um, he has a 75.8 zone swing percentage, which is higher than any team's average right now. And he swings at the first pitch 50% of the time. And I had to like refresh my page and look again like no that doesn't sound right like you talk about an ambush approach and like i'll see this escobar that part gives me a little bit of pause but then you go back and see he's still walking almost nine percent of the time um he it seems somewhat sustainable like i think he's more closer to 100 wrc plus hitter and like he can be a league average hitter but if you have that on a backup basis with good defense, you have one of the better backup catchers in baseball. Like I think he at worst is an okay backup and can give you the Cam Gallagher role. And he's kind of an older, uh, I guess an older young player, if that right. makes sense, considering yep, his service yep. time, but the defense and the ambush approach, but also the maturity when he's not ambushing, um, he's a really interesting, he's an intriguing talent. Yeah. And it might, makes me kind of wonder I mean, there's plenty of smoke around Salvador Perez on the trade market um, here lately. And 
I mean, MJ Melendez might not be long for this roster, but maybe Freddie Fermin gives you a little bit of freedom, a little bit of wiggle room to potentially deal one of those guys if you sure. think it's time to do so, because then you don't have to really worry about who's going to be the starting catcher or the backup catcher. Um, he's kind of proven to be a major league talent, and it's good to see because it kind of does provide that flexibility, that option if it's there that uh, that one of those guys needs to be traded or has the opportunity to be traded at that point. So uh, it's nothing but good. I love to see Freddie Fermin uh, be successful. It's it's well deserved. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something to think about. Uh, we're going to give you guys something to think about over the course of this break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Zach Greinke. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S. based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Welcome back to the One Royal Way podcast here on KCSN. We are back. Jordan Foote, Josh Kaiser with you. Um, shout out to KCSC again, our sponsor for this show. KCSN Golf Tournament, Tacos and Bourbon. It's coming up on July 29th at Sunflower Hills in Bonner Springs, Kansas. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be tacos. There's going to be uh, Bearcat Barbecue out there. Chance to win a million bucks. Silent auction. A bunch of good stuff. If you're interested in any of that, um, or potentially I think we're, we might still be taking a whole sponsor or two, um, reach out to Christian Gumminger at kcsnfoundation.com. It's bound to be a good time. Unlike what Zach Grinke's put out on the field lately, I know that's kind of a harsh transition, but a transition nonetheless. Um, the season stats before I open it up to Josh: five three one ERA, four nine six expected ERA, four six four FIP, a six point seven five strikeouts per nine, one point two two walks per nine. Both of those are improvements over last year, um, but he's allowing one point six six home runs per nine after less than one last year. The BABIP is down. He's uh, staring at the 3,000K mark in the distance. Like, it hasn't been great, but you look at a lot of the stuff. The exit velocity's up. <clears throat> the barrel rate's up. The max exit velocity's up. But, like, the ground ball rate, 
the fly ball rate mostly consistent, the line drive rate mostly consistent, the walks are down, the strikeouts are up. He's doing a lot of stuff right. Um, Josh, what did you find kind of in your deep dive that he might be doing wrong? I don't know, man. It, it's been a roller coaster season for him because he started out kind of fine. Uh, he had a, you know, a pretty solid March and April, and then in May was really good, a 3.83 xFIP. And then in June, the wheels just fell off over that four games did, and it was uh, a 4.52 xFIP. And you kind of talked about all those, you know, stats could be an up and down, but it seems like outside of the home runs, everything else is looking fine. I mean, the K percent's up, the walk percent's down, opponent average is down, whip is down, BABIP is down. Um, the, the home runs is a problem. Well, like you said, 1.66 home run per nine is the ninth among ninth highest among starting pitchers. Yes. Beneath Jordan Lyles still somehow, but still really, really a, a big problem. So seeing his words after the post game on Friday, where it was just kind of just, he was super down about himself. He said that like the stuff's just not there. The command is fine and stuff is not there. And that's just losing his confidence was tough to see. Um, he did have a start like that back in April. He actually went uh, less into the game, gave up just as many earned runs in that game, and you didn't see any of those words uh, coming out at that point. So part of me wonders, like we're halfway through the season, this team has been really bad. The record says they're worse than they actually probably are, but it's just got to be pretty tough for a 39-year-old Zach Rinky to get, keep getting back on that horse when – you just don't have the confidence that you had even entering the season. Like he was an okay pitcher last year and you would expect the same. I mean, he is 39 now he's 38. I mean, if he was going to fall off a cliff, yeah. it was going to be last year. He's he worked out with driveline, had all like came back kind of revamped and stuff. And just, it's just not there. The confidence is not there. So I hope that that's not a thing where he comes to, to queue in like three weeks. It's like, man, I'm just done. When Keller comes back, when when there's some potential depth coming back, he just decides that it's it's time to walk away. So I'm I'm super worried about that. It's tough to see Zach Rinky like this, but uh, I I still think that there's reason to hope that there is you know bit more in the tank than he's actually letting giving himself credit for at this point. He was also hurt last year, like he had the yeah. forearm problem or whatever, and he still was powering through. And he mm-hmm. had like the home and away splits, like whatever. He was fine. Um, and you look at his savant page, the launch angle is consistent last year. The sweet spot is consistent. Like he's not getting absolutely wrecked on things of his own fault. But then you look at his pitch mix. Um, it's been a little wonky. The four seam fastball far less, the sinker far more. Those have been positive changes for both pitches. So you're like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. In terms of batting average, the curveball though has been terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, opponents hit 222 against it with three home runs and a 347 slugging percentage this year, 360 um, with an 800 (laughs) slugging percentage and seven home runs allowed. You look at the movement, like a couple percent less uh, vertical movement, a couple percent less horizontal movement, plus eight run value this year, as opposed to minus seven last year. Um, You look at the pitch. We looked at the heat maps. Like I think, He's thrown some bad ones over the edge of the zone. I haven't looked pitch by pitch to see which ones have been taken out of the yard. But the heat maps aren't that crazy. Um, It seems like opponents are just taking more swings. And the zone swing percentage is up five over last year. So when he throws pitches in the zone, hitters just don't care as much anymore. The meatball percentage is up just a little bit. So he's making a couple more mistakes. Hitters are knowing that if they swing 
and make contact. It could be hard contact against his soft stuff. Um, and then also the cutter has been bad. Mm. Um, the slugging percentage is 622. He's throwing it about half as much. I think that's self-awareness kind of kicking in, saying, hey, you know, this isn't working. He insists on throwing the curveball, though. He needs the curveball in order to be successful. And it's been bad. If he scraps the curveball, that almost might be as bad as continuing to throw it, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to adapt. And Zach, nobody has adapted better than, or, or at least more thoroughly than Zach Rinky over the years. But like you said, that curveball is a problem, which is weird because it looks like the heat maps from 2022 is right down the heart of the plate. It, even if it like, it does move, it's a little flatter this year yeah. um, than it was last year. So maybe there's a little bit something to that. But where he was putting it in the middle of the zone and maybe a little bit down sometimes, but it was right down the middle a lot of times, you would think that it's the opposite because what he's doing now is still, I mean, on that outside corner, glove side outside corner low, and it's getting lit up. So I don't know really, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe hitters are just like waiting for that. It is 72 miles an hour, so they can floss their teeth, they can tie their shoe they could do a lot of things before that ball gets there so if they're kind of waiting for that ball uh like they might be even if it is down the way and really well placed it could get absolutely crushed so um, it, it's just tough to see i want to see the adjustments being made if he needs like you said needs to start throwing it less and so be it but that that used to be his go-to secondary pitch his breaking ball and maybe that's why he's losing the confidence is because the old go-to yeah. the old curveball is no longer there that's a problem for confidence. He doesn't know where to turn, but he's got six pitches. There should yeah. be plenty of room to grow, plenty of room to throw guys off. Just just see what you need to do, and, and we'll see where we are in these next next few starts, Zach. Please, <laughs> don't go. Yeah, his, uh, his development has not been great this year. We, we do have some positive updates from the Royals on their pitching development this year, um, but before that, Will Klein, named to the all-star futures game for the American league three, three, eight ERA in double a got called up to triple a 3.0 ERA, 11 Ks to four uh, walks in six innings so far with a one, eight, eight FIP. He's allowed one home run all season long in the minor leagues. Um, I just thought, you know, we've shouted out Will Klein quite a bit on this podcast this year, but we all had good receipts on him. We all thought mm -hmm. he was going to have a leap and he's had a leap. I've been pumped with him, and to see him actually getting that call to AAA means he's throwing strikes. He's not walking guys as much as they you know needed to see the change, and that seems to be the big – that's how you get promoted is if you stop walking, dude. So if Will Klein's getting that love, he's ready for the next step in AAA, and hopefully we'll see him in Kansas City the next uh, uh, by the end of the year. I want to stay in Omaha, actually, sure. for, the, for yeah. my part of it here because we've had some great, great performances yep. um, both uh, at bat and on the pitcher's mound. John Rave, Tucker Bradley are have absolutely been on fire the last couple of weeks. Uh, Rave's got a 1255 OPS through 37 plate appearances with five walks and six strikeouts. Um, he got that promotion for AA uh, maybe just like three weeks ago or something. So to see him kind of hit the ground running in Omaha is huge. And then Tucker Bradley, uh, shout out to, to our buddy Joel, who uh, just a professional hitter, Tucker Bradley. So to see him... <laughs> Uh, putting up a 1300 OPS and 25 plate appearances over those last couple of weeks. It got a one to one ratio in the walk and K, uh, K marks. So, uh, some great stuff from the outfield there in Omaha. And they've, I mean, they had, we mentioned last week, they had that winning streak. Um, and so it's kind of good to see why. 
And then our, our other receipts are coming from Alec Marsh, who also got promoted to Omaha in the last couple of weeks. He's got three starts, 15 inning pitched, four earned, 13 hits, seven walks, and 19 strikeouts. Um, our buddy Royals Farm Report said he's got a 35.6% whiff rate right now. That is fun to see. A lot of fun. It was weird to kind of see him in double A last year because his strikeouts were there. He wasn't really walking guys, but guys were squaring him up for whatever reason. It doesn't seem to be happening this uh, this time around, but uh, he is having some, some success there early in Omaha. And then Max Castillo, the last two weeks, he had two starts, 11 innings pitch, four earned, two hit, 10 hits, and four strikeouts, but just a 0.91 whip. So uh, he is another guy that could be working into the mix in the uh, starting rotation at some point. I mentioned last week that he is kind of having a hot, hot start. So uh, good to see him, whether he's in the mix in the rotation or in the bullpen, he needs to be up at some point this season, I think. So uh, it's good to see uh, productivity from all four of those guys in Omaha, just one step away from the bigs, baby. Yeah, the uh, the Royals kind of had some moving and shaking in the past couple of weeks and moving mm-hmm. guys up from AA to AAA. They also had to make some room at AAA. And Drew Parrish was unfortunately one of the recipients of, hey, you're going to go down to AA and carve some people up. And his last start, um, six innings, two hits, seven strikeouts. That's my uh, shout out for double A. I picked mm-hmm. one guy per level because I'm not as cool as Josh. Do you have anybody else for double A? I don't, but I did. Uh, I did kind of figure up the whole farm system today, so we can we can end with that if you've got some other guys. Yeah, for sure. I've got a uh, Mason Barnett in high yep. A. His last two starts, eleven and a third innings pitched, three runs, twelve strikeouts, and six walks, and then Shane Panzini in uh, at Columbia. 11 strikeouts, sorry, 10 strikeouts in his most recent start. In his last four, he has a 2.84 ERA, 19 innings pitched, uh, 27 strikeouts to nine walks. That's a three to one ratio. That'll play. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of the one that gets left out uh, yeah. there with all that success going on at Columbia this yep. year. Panzini seems to be kind of the one that's quiet, the most quietly uh, uh, doing his thing down there. But um, I've kind of been keeping a running tally, uh, running tally all season about what the K rate and the uh, walk rate of the entire pitching uh, up and down the minors this year. Last year, they were 29th in K percentage and 23rd in walk percentage. So far this year, the whole system wide, sixth highest K rate, 14th lowest uh, walk rate. So there are steps being made in minor leagues. They're actually getting guys to strike dudes out it's good to see i am pumped to see the uh, the strides being made i mean six you could you jump from the 29th low, the 29th highest k rate to the sixth in just a season that is huge that's yeah. huge both in terms of like differentiating the two but it's also huge for this organization that just absolutely lacked any kind of development of pitching in the past two decades so it's awesome to see them kind of learning how to strike dudes out um i love it uh, it's been pretty freaking wild. Um, and the Royals, is it Raising Royals, like the minor league development mm-hmm. account that's yep. been on Twitter? They tweeted out the halfway point um, at each season, 22 and 23. The ERA is down almost half a run. The strikeouts per nine is up one strikeout. The walks per nine or the ratio is better. Um, they've They've tangibly at all levels have had an improvement and Josh mm-hmm. your tweet thread, even better context to that. The, the league wide rankings, not just the Royals rankings. You can jump up and improve year over year, but if you're going from <clears throat> one of the 
lesser pitching development programs to one that's like okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. But if you're going from a bad one in one category to great or top ten in another, that's even yeah. better. So the Royals, I, people keep saying they want to see tangible progress. They want to see proof that the stuff is working. It's not really skewed one way or another either. Like, yeah, Columbia has had some really good performances. Yeah, Omaha now has. But the guys in Omaha that have the good numbers, they spent a lot of the year in double A. <laughs> like they've been bouncing back and forth. The Royals as a whole, um, shifting their philosophy there. Kind of like during COVID when they had the uh, hitting lab, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that they put together. It's working so far. So who knows if the major league level is going to work. I know that the record has been terrible. And a lot of the processes haven't been great or sorry, the results haven't been great, but the processes have generally been good. And Mm -hmm. you can't just say they're, you know, pissing on your leg and telling you it's raining in terms of the minor league development. Like they're showing you, Hey, this stuff works. And you're having guys that you didn't hear about before this season that are dominating the leaderboard. And you're getting guys like Frank Mazzucato that were top prospects for the org. Alec March, that was one of the better ones they're showing out. So yeah. Um, I, I think it's all mostly all good from, from that perspective. Yeah. And I think it's tough to kind of grade the major league at this point based off just basically three starts from Chris Bubich and then, uh, I don't know, four or five from where Daniel Lynch is and then whatever Singer's going on. I mean, those are three guys that you really wanted to see the steps forward. Singer clearly hasn't done it. He's obviously backtracking, it seems. But it seems like Daniel Lynch is taking a step forward. It looked like Chris Bubich was taking a step forward prior to his injury, yeah. so we'll see how real that is. But, I mean, if we're talking about two of those three actually turning into something stable in the rotation down the road, then it's a win. doesn't matter what happens this year. Yep, 100%. Um, the Royals have some things that are looking up and shaking. We're going to be shaking quite a bit. We're going to play a game after we get back from the second break. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right, We're I'm back. the captain now, Jordan. Uh-oh, I'm Josh the captain, captain now. Uh-oh. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the <laughs> captain now. Game game is my my neck of the woods. I'm I'm yes. captain. It was also your idea. Really. True. But there's a reason because I just never take anything too seriously here. But uh tonight we got a game that I'm going to call Deal or No Deal. I'm your host Maui Handel that uh that has the rules of the game here. So we we were talking about nine different pairs of guys that you can kind of, you know, put shoulder to shoulder and compare them have relatively the same value to this team long term and short term, but it's no secret that this team is not going anywhere this year. Hard to see them going anywhere next year or the year after that. So at this point it needs to be about a long game. We need to talk about long-term value. So the dealer, no deal aspect is you're going to deal one of these guys and no deal the other guy. You're going to keep the other guy around. And I put the caveat in here that of these nine pairs, you can sign relative market extensions for two of them. So I've got my, my two reserved for my guys. Uh, hopefully you do as well. So that's basically the concept of this game. We'll kind of get the get the hang of it here as we go. So the first pairing that we have talked about you can deal one for relative value to restock the farm system and keep the other one around for their uh, long-term value to this team is Brady Singer and Chris Bubich. 
with Bubich being injured, Singer not taking any steps forward and potentially regressing. Who are you dealing? Who are you no dealing? So my my preface here is I only have one extension out of this group, out of everybody. Okay. Um, I, I didn't use my second one. I might change my mind, um, but I'm dealing Brady Singer, man. I, mm-hmm. I think they're both relative wild cards right now just because Bubich was hurt and didn't have a big uh, sample size before he got hurt. Singer coming into tonight. A 6.34 ERA with a 1.57 whip. He obviously had six shutout innings on Tuesday night. That's going to help his season numbers. I think if there's a team out there that thinks they can get that Brady Singer that threw the changeup three times and had a bunch of success last year, I think you trade him. I'm not convinced that that is the real Brady Singer. I don't think he can get by not using the changeup or using it sparingly or not using it in high leverage situations. I think he might, I'm not one of those that thinks he has to be a reliever because he only has two pitches. I think though, you're not going to get a consistent number two front of the line starter out of him. You might not even get a number three or number four guy. Chris Bubich, if he is the guy he was before he got hurt, can be a really good number three on a good team or like a okay number two on a bad team. Um, the Royals can have him be the long-term experiment, like the lab rat almost. And mm-hmm. I think you deal Brady Singer if you had to pick one of those two. I think so too. And I think Singer has the most trade value in that because I think you're more confident if you can't make a starter out of him, he can absolutely play in the bullpen. So there's a floor bullpen role that would still be valuable and still be something other clubs would be interested in as a floor. It's almost like a safety net almost. So I agree. I think, and I think that, I mean, Bubich has a reputation for being a huge learner and being very coachable. And I would love to see, like you said, a test rat syndrome for Chris Bubich to uh, to kind of move forward. So I'm with you. I'm trading Brady Singer. I feel like that's the uh, the best way to go here as well. Next one was, was uh, Kyle Isbell just recently returning tonight or Olivares. You got one end of the spectrum with one. You got one end of the spectrum on the other. So what do you, what do you got on that? Yeah, Isbell can't hit, but is a fantastic defender. Yep. Olivares is a league average hitter, it seems, but he can't defend worth of crap. So, like, I think Isbell 5.3 UZR in the outfield in 2022. It's positive clearly this year. 11 outs above average last year. Had an elite jump. He has two options left. He's not 27 till next year. While Kyle Isbell's not an everyday big leaguer, I think he can be like your fifth outfielder a guy that comes in and is okay base running and can give you some really, really good defense. Edward Olivares, he can't be your outfielder at all. Um, he has fewer options. He's been in the league longer. He's a year older. The defense is very, very bad. I think he's capable of offering, though, and we've talked about a big market team, a New York or a Boston or maybe like San Diego that wants to spend and get a guy can bring him in. You deal him. I don't think it's really close between those two. I don't think Isbell gets you anything at all. I think Olivares, he might get you something very, very small in return, um, but something for a guy that just doesn't fit with this team. I don't think that is better than nothing. I am the opposite. I am taking. I am keeping Olivares yeah, as a big Kyle Isbell guy. I, I am a big Kyle Isbell guy. I want him to work out and be the everyday center fielder for this team. But I love offense. 
I, I I don't value defense nearly as much as the Kansas City Royals do, so I would be keeping Edward Olivares on this team to kind of still be able to drive the offense and, and kind of help out that team that way more so than the defense. See if you can – somebody threw out the option of maybe see if he could play first base. I don't know if that's an option, but, I mean, if that's what we got to do, beef him up, get him get him just, just ripped. Get him ripped so he's only hitting ding-dongs every now and then. Um <laughs> and then put him over at first base in DH and see how it goes. So uh, I'm the opposite. So here we go. Contentious. Good. No, we need that. Yeah. Yep. Might disagree on this one too. Uh, This one's a tough one, I think. But I got Nick Prado and MJ Melendez on the deal or no deal. You got to deal one, keep one. Who you got? I'm dealing Melendez. It's the same logic as Brady Singer for me. Um, The numbers have been inconsistent. He hasn't proven that he could be the guy that came up last year. He's not making great swing decisions. He's not seeing success defensively. Uh, minus five outs above average in the outfield. That was on fan graphs, so their leaderboard might be a little bit different. Um, Prado's cooled off, and yeah, he's striking out way too much, but I believe in the on-base chops, even if he's not hitting particularly well. I believe in the long-term value with him. Um, trading Melendez opens up a corner outfield spot for Nick Prado, who could play there when Vinny Pasquantino comes back up. Like I think for roster building reasons, I think for um, selling on a guy that is also a Scott Boris client that may mm-hmm. not be getting extended by the team anyway. There's um, no way. I, I think Zero yeah, there's, there's no shot. Um, there, there's no shot. But I think you trade Melendez, and I, I feel like you might be in the same boat as me, but I could also see a very easy case for getting rid of Nick Prado too. Um. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm keeping okay. Prado uh, basically for the same reasons. Like if he's if he is if they're both like head to head and providing the same offensive value to this team, there's no way that MJ Melendez is providing more defense as a guy who doesn't like defense. But if that's the tiebreaker, then Nick yeah. Prado's uh, I guess his safety net being a better corner outfielder than MJ Melendez is what it is, and. I also feel like when Prado's not going well, he's still walking. He's still taking a Mm -hmm. ton of pitches, and I feel like that is way more workable, way more coachable, way more fixable than when MJ Melendez is just out there flailing and stuff. So um, I feel like Nick Prado is is the guy that we would be then keeping long-term, and boy – I'm extending them. That's my first extension wow. uh, that I would be handing out as Nick Prado, just because I love the fact that he's got that approach that nobody else in this lineup seems to seems to be able to have. Outside of Freddie Vermin, who is an absolute monster and might be the best player ever made, but Nick Prado, <laughs> I think, has the most long term ability to get on base and provide value in the in the uh, in the field as well. So I'm extending Prado for whatever it takes relative to the market. This the next one might be the hardest one. I think that it would be polarizing among this fan base. And if there is any chance of interacting and getting the fans and the listeners involved in this one, it is this one. We have to deal one of Michael Garcia or Vinny Pasquantino. What do you got? I'm extending Vinny Pasquantino to a market value deal. I'm mm-hmm. trading Michael Garcia to a team that thinks they can play him at shortstop or has an mm-hmm. opening at shortstop or second yep. base. Um, he hasn't crossed the 200 plate appearance mark at the big league level. Like he's done everything right. He's hitting the ball hard. He's making decent decisions. He's improving. He looks more mature. It's still super early. Um, mm-hmm. Time will tell if he's that level of guy and can be a future three to four win player every year for a team. Mm-hmm. 
I think the time to sell would be now while he's still an intriguing player and still has that prospect kind of a uh, new shine. car smell almost. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. has to shine. Um, I, I could get the the logic with trading Pasquantino, but the positional value here, what Pasquantino means to the organization, kind of like mm-hmm. in a Salvador Perez way, I think for marketability and being the face of the team and being a leader, um, the time to trade Michael Garcia would be much sooner, I think, than the time to trade Vinny Pasquantino. Yep. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, I think the trade value might be a little bit more on the Garcia side, not yeah. just because Vinny is injured at the moment and done for the year, but the fact that Michael Garcia is the shortstop and that's going to always bring back more. And he's shown a, a capacity to handle third base really, really well. So it's a good problem to have both of these guys on the roster. If I had to choose one, I'm also extending Vinny for all the reasons you mentioned, as well as like on top of everything, he's got the culture of what this organization needs to be centered around his number one priority, no matter what is winning. And that's exactly what this clubhouse is going to need. I love Salvi to death. I love that. He loves baseball. He is uh, the Danny Rojas uh, shout out Ted Lasso. He's the dude, the, the vibes giver, but I don't know if he is the culture bringer. Like he's not the winning is everything uh, like Vinny Pasquantino is. So I think Vinny just on that, part no matter what he does at the plate which is also going to be very good is going to be very important for the rest of the what happens with this team so let's move on to the next one i got drew waters versus michael massey what do you got here i'm i'm keeping both of them neither one's going to bring anything back (laughs) drew waters has already been traded once michael massey hasn't proven he can hit like we don't have to spend much time on this like i almost voted to skip like this isn't dissing either player but like if I had to pick one, I guess Waters, because there's still some prospect intrigue, I guess, like a little bit of the shine, even though he's already been moved. Um, but I I just keep both of them, and if they turn out to be good, great. If they don't, then at least you found out. Man, you Maddie answered that. Keeping I did. Both not part of the answer oh, yeah. here. The answer is clearly <laughs> Drew Waters, because of his defensive yeah. value in center field over second base. But it's kind of weird how, how similar they are. Like yeah. what they do at the plate, how they do it, and then they're both very good in the outfield. I mean, or yeah. not in the outfield, but Drew Waters has been pretty pretty good in center field when, he, when he's yeah. got there. Massey has been very well at second base too. So I, I like both of these guys in the long term, but as far as positional values, if one's got to go, then I'm taking Drew Waters in center field. Let's yeah. get down to the minor leagues here. we got Frankie Mazzucato versus David – or not David Cross. I always do that. Gavin Cross. We're not talking about Mr. Show. We're talking about Gavin Cross versus Frankie Mazzucato. What do you got? It's too early to give up on Gavin Cross, despite mm-hmm. hitting 220 with a 31% uh, strikeout rate. He's walking 11% of the time. He's got 10 home runs in 66 games. It's also not too early to trade Frank Mazzucato, despite his improvements. A 230 mm-hmm. ERA, 83 strikeouts, but he's also kept the walks fairly high, 32 and 54 innings. It's very early in his development. You, you can't count on him as a pitching prospect long-term just yet. He's still in Columbia. He hasn't proven it at double-A. He hasn't proven it at triple-A. If I had to trade one of these two, I think it's fairly easy. You drafted Mazzucato earlier. He's also a pitcher. You also have a little bit of concern with the walks. And that's not to say Gavin Cross doesn't come with concerns, but mm-hmm. I think for me it's a pretty easy. I'm dealing uh, Frank Mazzucato. I'm dealing Cross. Okay. Um, but I understand the, the the difference in, like you said, the walks are a problem. 
Um, the strikeout is a problem for Cross. Yeah, he is also seeing a difficult comp- competition and one step above it. So that's a little bit on that side too. But uh, I'm going to deal Gavin Cross. I'm keeping Mazzucato probably purely because of the lack of pitching in the system more so. Um, let's get through the speed round here. Carlos Hernandez and Will Klein. What are you there? What are you doing there? Hernandez Klein like at a certain point you have to keep guys that can help the team long term and I think Will Klein definitely has that uh, potential Mm -hmm. Hernandez the ERA is down the walks are down the strikeouts are up I'm still not sold on his long-term projection like yeah he can be a bullpen piece but I think Klein can be better Um, he's also younger he also hasn't been called up quite yet so like a lot of the stuff I've said about guys earlier I'm flipping that for this one I'm trading Mm -hmm. Carlos Hernandez Okay, I'm keeping Hernandez because he is who Klein could be eventually, in my opinion. But I like I also, this. I also I like really disagree. Like Will Klein too. Yep, hundred percent. Fun. Uh, last two here: Nikki Lopez or Samad Taylor. Where you at? I almost want to default to saying keep both. Um, trade Lopez to a contender looking for a backup infielder. He can take a walk. He's having the second best offensive season of his career. Not not mm-hmm. saying much, but right. um, positive defender. At all three infield positions for him, Taylor has no value. Like he's already been dealt once. No one knows anything about him. Some people think they discovered him and like he's a great player or whatever, but it's still early. No one really knows, and that's not enough to get anything. Lopez isn't going to bring back much, but I think you you get rid of him um, if you had to pick between those two. I'm uh, I'm getting rid of him just because I think Samad's going to be able to be better. I think you're getting better okay. defense, obviously, with Nikki. But being Smart Taylor being able to, he has a good understanding of the zone. He's faster than Nikki. He has more pop than Nikki. So I just feel like he could potentially be a little bit more valuable to this team. And he can also play outfield. So I feel like the versatility is also part of that. But I uh, honestly don't want to see Lopez go just for, I, I like the fact that they both bring something a little intangible to the to the clubhouse as well. If, if Nikki's the leader and a veteran in that clubhouse right yeah. now versus Samad kind of being a spark plug kind of guy. I love both of that. So it's a good thing to have, but I would probably be keeping Samad Taylor more so than trading Nikki Lopez at that point. <coughs> Finally, the last one, also very close, and I was talking to you about it. More, it was closer than I actually really thought it would be. But Josh Stamont versus Taylor Clark, um, where are you at with those two dudes? Stamont has always been this like mystery box of like, oh, it could be like Josh Stamont or oh, it could be Greg Holland or whatever, and then like he gets hurt or he he flames out or whatever. Taylor Clark this year was objectively really good for a big chunk of the season. He also seems like although we've talked about it maybe being fool's gold with him, like more established, ironically, than a Josh Stamont. Stamont's always, or not always, also hurt. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trading Taylor Clark because I think that's what makes the most sense. I don't know what Stamont would get back. I don't know where he's at health-wise. I don't know what he is. And that's also a reason to get rid of him, right? But mm-hmm. I think you're getting the most bang for your buck, probably, if you uh, trade Taylor Clark, if you get any bang for your buck at all. Yeah. I, I'm keeping, again, kind of keeping Stamont more so than trading Taylor Clark because yep. I'm just not sure what Clark's bringing him, but I'd rather have Stamont. I think they're both great pitchers. I love Clark's uh, evolution here, what he's kind of done with his 
career this so uh, this year specifically. But I still think Stamont is just more electric. I love his stuff so much. Um, he's gotten that new slider, which was very good prior to getting hurt. So I just love the fact that he was the bully guy with a huge hammer of a curveball appointment television type of back end bullpen guy. And now he's kind of evolving to a dude that can still pump mid to upper 90s, but he's kind of doing a little bit more uh, shiny, a little bit more um, deceptively as well. So I'd be kind of curious to see what Stamont can look like a little bit, try to extend that career a little bit more, but the injuries are, are what they are. So um, still want to keep both of them. But uh, if I have to deal one of them, it's probably Taylor Clark. So that's that. That's where it is. That was the game. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any uh, comments or complaints about it, we don't want to hear them because it's just what it is. <laughs> no, we, yeah, we'd love to interact. Let us know what you guys are thinking about that game. Um, we can always do it uh, kind of further down the road, but. Um, I think that's going to do it here on the, the this episode of One Royal Way. Shout out to Joel. He will join us again next week um, where we'll talk about the MLB draft. We also got uh, probably some first half review to do uh, since we are going to be on the other half of the season uh, at that point. And with it being the 4th of July, we are probably going to push back one day. So I think we're recording on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night next week. So you might look for us a little bit later, but uh Anything else, Jordan? You got anything else for the for the listeners tonight? Nope, that was a damn good outro. Go uh, go outside, touch some grass, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. Hit that like and subscribe button. Help us out with some five star reviews, and go Royals. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.